Religion proclaims that we can control the dark side of human nature by rituals and rules, but the Apostle Paul declares that there can be no mixing of grace based upon Christ's cross with human obedience to a religious code. Dave Wurtson, our Truth Encounter study leader, begins this series on Galatians 5, Living Free, by asking the question, Why would anyone ever want to lock themselves back up in prison after being set free? I've got a confession to make. Uh, As one of your pastors, I've spent a lot of time in prison. In fact, if you want to name some of the units down in Huntsville, like the Holiday Unit, the Eastham Unit, um, the Walls, uh, even right here in Venus, uh, right down here, the, the state prison in Venus, I spent quite a bit of time down there. I can describe, I remember the first time I went to the Eastham unit, you know, going through those great big, uh, there's kind of a, a double bobbed wire, and up on top of these maybe 20-foot tall uh, bobbed wire fences are double-circled razor blades, sharp as a razor blade, circles, and you look down this long row, this long bobbed wire wall, and you see this guard tower, and you see a guy holding an automatic weapon, and there's something unsettling about going through that no man's land and you walk into the holding area you got to take out all of your metal stuff and leave it all there and then you go through these metal detectors and then the door is slammed this great big heavy steel door slams behind you in the Eastham unit where they have it's like just like the old fashioned prisons on TV it's got about three or four big levels of prison cells and I remember being up at the third level and getting in with a prisoner and then the gate it, the, 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 the bars go through for the whole um, level and it just shuts on you and you're confined you know you're enslaved I mean you're not going anywhere and it was a great place to witness, and I, I trust that all of you will have that opportunity. And before you decide you need to run a background check on me and not let me work with any Awana kids or Promised Land kids, all of my time in prison has been with the Bill Glass Crusades. And in October, uh, Bill's going to come and speak to us. And one of the thrusts that we want to have for this fall is we'd like you uh, to go with us right here in, down in Venus. Some of you guys can go with us into Venus, the prison there, and some of you ladies can go to the prison around the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I know you're scared to death, but it's the greatest place in the world to witness because you're, you're locked up with people. They can't go anywhere. They have to talk to you. And so we really want to encourage you to do that. But what I want you to stop and think about is, is one of the greatest, most awesome feelings I've ever had is after being, for example, say about eight hours in the Eastham Unit, which is an old prison in Huntsville, and you eat this horrible food. I mean, I can't even tell what it is. Jerry Wofford and I, a friend of mine, we died laughing one night. I think we were under stress, but we laughed for about two hours because we could not figure out whether it was gravy or syrup, maple syrup. And that's a bad food when you can't tell the difference between maple. He he swore it was maple syrup, and I swore, no, that is gravy. And uh, it was horrible food and, you know, walking these long lines. Everybody has to walk. There's a stripe on the side of the cement floor in the hallways. And all the inmates walk on the other side of that, wa- that line. And you've got to walk on the other side of the line. All these things you have to pay attention to. And there's just nothing like at the end of a Bill Glass crusade 
Unlike the prisoners, you get to walk out of the Eastern unit, get to walk through that holding cell. You get to walk out through that double barbed wire fence, walk through those big gates, and out into the parking lot, man, you can go to McDonald's and eat real food, or, you know, that's, maybe that's not true, but uh, you can do whatever you want to. What I want to talk to you about today is the prisoners tell me that one of the greatest days of their life, and my freedom after only a day in prison, is nothing compared to what they experience when they walk out after 20 years in prison. Down here in Venus is one of the final stops. When you're in the Texas State Department of Corrections, they move you all over the place. And so you're in, in Huntsville, then you're down in Lake Jackson, and then you're up here. But Venus is one of the final stops. So when you talk to prisoners here, one of the things that you enter into is they're all anticipating and they're excited. Pretty soon, they're going to get out. And when they, when they hand them just a little bit of money to help them on their way, they are able to put on civilian clothes, and they walk out. The prisoners tell me that there's, that is one of the most incredible, awesome days of your life. Now, you, can you imagine a prisoner that's set free from the Venus prison, but they go back about 8 o'clock that night, and they knock on the door saying, I want to go back in prison. That would be crazy. Why would you ever want to do that? And that's what the Apostle Paul wants to talk to you about in Galatians chapter 5. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. The church of Galatia was founded by the Apostle Paul on one of his missionary journeys. It's in central Turkey, what's now modern Turkey. The Apostle Paul declared to them that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, that Jesus Christ rose again. He told them about Jesus could, could deliver them from their sin. And the power of the Spirit came upon these pagan Gentile believers, and they were born again into God's family. They were transformed. The Holy Spirit started to move. Miracles took place, according to Galatians chapter 3, among them. I mean, there was excitement in the group. I pray that that's your story. I pray that every one of you has come to a moment in your life. I don't think it's that important that you know the exact date, the exact time, but I do feel it's really important that you know for sure that you have put your confidence, put your trust in the good news about Jesus, that you really are resting in the fact that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, that you're resting in the fact that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And because you're depending upon that, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, and you're experiencing the power of his transformation. That's what the Galatians have experienced. Then the Apostle Paul left. He went on to other, you know, other areas of the world that needed to be touched with the gospel. And Paul receives word that some new teachers have come in, some false teachers. And they have told the Galatians this. You see, when the the Galatians are beginning to get into the groove of of this spiritual life and and trying to grow in Christ, and they're dealing with anger. They're dealing with hatred. They're dealing with uh, drunkenness. They're, They're dealing with being tempted to go back to their pagan temples and get involved in immorality. In other words, what's happening in the Galatian church is what happens in every church. It's happening in our church today. You're not perfect. You're not totally Christ-like yet in your daily experience. Before God, by grace, you receive the gift of righteousness, but in your daily life, you're struggling with sin. You're struggling with habits that, that, you, that you can't overcome. And that becomes a big question. Okay, we're saved by receiving the gift of Jesus' the Spirit 
coming to live inside of us. Now, in our daily life, how do we overcome besetting weaknesses? How do we overcome sin? How do you answer that question? The Galatian false teachers, these false teachers that had infiltrated the church, started saying something like this. Jesus is a great first step. This business of faith, trusting in what Jesus did for you on the cross, that enabled you to take the first step towards getting right with God. But if you really want to overcome and live righteously and live obediently and live morally, if you want to walk according to the book of virtues, then what you need to do is you need to become Jewish. You need to be circumcised. You need to obey all the food laws of Judaism. You need to obey all the religious holidays. You need all that tradition. You need the stability of the law of Moses. You need the 613 rules and regulations the Old Testament lays out for you in order to get right with God. And it was a very powerful teaching. In fact, it's a very powerful teaching for many of you. The truth of the matter is I want you to ask yourself the question, how do you try to overcome sin in your daily life? And what do you believe is necessary to really become the new person that you have in Christ? And the Apostle Paul is just, is, is really exercised because these false teachers are trying to mix, trying to get right with God by law and trying to get right with God by grace. And what he's saying is that they're very much in danger of slipping back. And he starts out with something incredible. In fact, in my own upbringing, I, I often think if, I, if you asked me as a little kid of about 10 years of age, you said, Jesus Christ, what would have I have thought of? And I think I might have thought of, well, it means that I, I, I can't uh, see the Walt Disney movies that come out. That was a really big, troubling thing for me. You know, they've come out with all these great westerns when I was a little kid, but I was in an environment where we weren't allowed to go to the movies. I know that seems really strange to you, but man, that was an absolute no-no some, for some good reasons. Most of the movies that we go to are lousy. Most of the movies are filled with the world. So they came up with a rule. That's all I go to the movies. You've all noticed, like, I'm paralyzed when it comes to dancing because I was raised as a kid that dancing was the devil's playground. And, man, that was one of the worst things you could ever do. So that was another rule. That shall not go to the movies. That shall not dance. When I came to Midlothian, I thought all the original members of our church were sinners because they all smoked. In fact, when we started our church, I, I would speak in this first hour and over there on Overlook, and then we'd have a break, and then we'd have a question and answer time, and about three-quarters of my congregation went out and smoked on the front porch. <laughs> and I was taught, thou shalt not smoke. I was also taught, thou shalt not hold hands, like you were not allowed. Can you imagine that? Like when you were dating, you were not allowed to hold hands. So in the Christian school where I went, we developed all kinds of cool ways to hold hands underneath a hymn book. It's amazing what you can do underneath a hymn book. And a whole bunch of, this whole idea of Christianity, if you mentioned Jesus Christ, it meant thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do this. How about you? When I mention Jesus to you, what do you think of? And what I want you to think of is I want you to think of freedom. I want you to think of free at last because Jesus is the ultimate deliverer. You say, Dave, where do you get that from? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Turn over to Galatians, and Paul says, you have been called for freedom. The reason that, God, that Jesus saved us was to set us free. The whole purpose of Jesus being in our life is, is for him to liberate us. Christ has set us free so that we could live in freedom. 
The Apostle Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Now, if I ask a college university freshman what it means for them to be free, they think it means that I can go out and drink till I'm totally plastered. They think it means that there's no mom and dad that have a curfew on me. They think that it means I can experiment sexually with all this wonderful opportunity for the next four years during this in-between time in my life. That's the way a university student interprets freedom. Paul says that will enslave you. You'll walk back into prison. There's a really good chance if you live like that, if you get too drunk, you'll hurt your liver, and your body will be enslaved because you're not as healthy as you ought to be. There's a good possibility if you break all those, those rules about sexuality and you engage in illicit sex that you're going to get sick as well and you're going to be destroyed emotionally. So one of the things that, that, that Paul would declare to you is to that university student, you think you're free and you define freedom as doing anything you want to do, but in fact, you're going to be walking back into a, a spiritual Huntsville. You're going to be imprisoned. If I ask a business person what it means to be free, they think in terms of, well, it means that I'm free to invest. It means I'm free to travel to another state and carry on business. It means that the government will, lay, will have a lazy, fair attitude and I can make all the investments I want. It means a tax cut. So a business person thinks about freedom being a government and a whole economic situation that lets them do what they want to do. If I ask a, down in South America, when I've gone down to South America, some of those countries are being torn apart by guerrilla warfare. And what's happened is that there's a tyrant that's ruling one of the South American countries. And the gorillas get out there in the forest, in the jungle, and they attack the tyrant. And they, I ask them, what does freedom mean to you? They say, freedom means that, that we're going to throw off this tyrant, and we're going to get rid of this horrible rule, and then we'll be free. There's all different ways that we think of freedom. As Americans, you think in terms of, I have freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of worship. But the Apostle Paul is speaking about a far deeper slavery, and he's talking about a far more eternal freedom. In fact, the Apostle Paul, contrary to the way we think, started out chapter 1 by saying something like this. Jesus delivered us from this present evil age. Jesus died for us that he might deliver us from this present evil age. The Apostle Paul is telling us something that you really need to get a hold of, that we're living in an enslaved territory. The dominion of this present world is under the power of the evil one. That's why Katrina's rumbled across the Gulf of Mexico. Yes, God is ultimately in control. God's the creator of nature. God's the one that ultimately is writing the story. But the scripture teaches that there's a terrible violence in nature because of our sin. And that's why Katrina rumbles and just destroys and just, just plasters everyone and changes everyone's life. The Bible also teaches that when we look at the world system, we look at governments, we look at what's going on in the world, we look at the flow of history, there's this tremendous expression of evil. And so, so, so you have this rhythm of, of constant warfare and, and there, there is no peace. Everybody talks about it, but we go from one war to the next. The Bible teaches that our society that we live in is not controlled by the values of Jesus for the most part. It's controlled by evil. And one of the worst expressions of it is the fact that we're all under the curse of death. And that's why my phone rang yesterday afternoon, and Adela Gonzalez calls me, and she's crying as a grandmother. 
She just had a meal with her grandson. She's been praying for him for many, many years that he would begin to get his life straightened out. And, and they had a great meal a couple nights ago, and it looked like he was really beginning to get his act together. And I remember him as a little boy sitting at Leo and Adela's table and talking with him and sharing with them. And Adela tells me about 3 o'clock in the morning, early Saturday morning, he hit a telephone pole, three other people with him, and praise God, they're all right, but he's gone. That's the curse of death. And that shows you that, that, that you live in a present evil age. This world isn't good enough for you. It's not long enough for you. It's not going to make you healthy enough. It's not going to bring you enough pleasure. And one of the greatest lies that the evil one tells you is it is. It is. And here's a dear 21-year-old guy. It's over. And you got to have something far more than just 21 years or just 8 years or just 75 years or just 105 years. We need to be delivered. And that's the great deliverance And only Jesus can give us this great deliverance. It's the deliverance from this present evil age. I got news for you. Some of you say, man, you are getting old, and man, you know, you're getting crotchety, and, you know, your mind's starting to go, man, I've only just begun (laughs) not to get crotchety. But I want you to know that, man, my best days are in the future, not behind me. Some of you are in the jaws. You're 48 years old, coming towards 50, both men and women, and you're scared. You feel this is all there is, and you're living for this present evil age, and you start reaching back. Man, you go to a high school reunion. Man, you start trying to recapture all those you know, warm, fuzzy feelings you had in high school. You're living just for now. It'll make you make stupid decisions. It'll destroy your life. Because where life is really found is going on and becoming a grandfather. It's going on and aging. It's going on and playing the game of life that the Lord wants you to play because you know that the best is yet to come. That's the great freedom that we have in Christ. And your whole society is telling you, no, live just for now. Christ set you free from that. How do you handle the guilt in your life? How many of you have sinned this week? What do you do about it? Christ has set you free. One of the things that people have done for years is they go to religious people. They go into religious places. Why do they do that? Because it helps their guilt to feel better. It helps them to feel not so bad. And you also give a little money because maybe that'll work. The basic idea is this. You see, what a Jewish person did said is if you get circumcised... If you go and and keep the high feasts of Israel, if you eat kosher food, and by the way, food becomes a big thing. It's a big thing in our church family. Some of your care groups fall apart because you can't decide what the diet's going to be. That's the old thing. That's what Judaism was. And if you're going to do that, become Jewish. But I want you to think hard about what you're doing. You start to be trapped. You start cutting yourself from, off from other people. You begin not to be able to have fellowship with other people. And that's what Paul was arguing against in the Galatian church. They began to be enslaved again by all these rules in their life, all this food they couldn't eat, all these places they couldn't go. Christ sets you free so you don't have to be in bondage to that. It's incredible freedom. Christ set us free socially. Socially. 
He says, in Christ, in the early Galatian church, a slave owner would sit next to his slave, and when they met together in the body of Christ, they were totally equal. It's incredible. He said, in Christ, there's neither, neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew or Gentile. In the first century, Jews had their kosher food laws. They had their pride of having all this tradition. And the Gentiles ate all this garbage from the Jewish perspective. The Jews and Gentiles couldn't even sit down to a meal together. But when Christ came, they were able to do that. All of that distinction religiously. I don't care what background you're from. You can be whatever brand you want to be in this room today. If you're in Christ, then you're in us. You're with us. And I want us to really believe that. Christ set us free. That's the freedom socially. There's no male nor female in the first century. Some of you ladies say, man, you know, you go away to university, they tell you, man, feminism is where it's really at, and Christianity really held you down, and it's a terrible thing. Well, Christianity is going to teach you to respect your husband because that's the greatest need in your husband's life, and it will feed joy and security and love in your life So the scripture will tell you that because a man needs, he's very insecure. And so if he lives with a woman that constantly attacks him, there will be bondage in that relationship. So there needs to be respect, vice versa. The husband, the wife really needs to be loved. She needs to know that her husband would die for her and she needs to see evidence that he's dying for her in his everyday life. And Christ sets us free to do that. Feminism says, no, ladies, you can do it your own way. That's a bondage. It was Christ that said, in Christ, Paul, inspired by Jesus, said, in Christ is neither male nor female. He didn't mean that we were no longer sexually distinct from one another in this present life like some people are teaching. He said, no, in Christ, if you're a female, you are loved by your heavenly daddy. You are cherished. You are gifted. Jesus has all kinds of plans for you. You can fly for him. If you're a man, you can do the same thing because in Christ, male and female are equal and in love before the Lord. What incredible freedom. The Apostle Paul says it was for that kind of freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't allow yourself to be ensnared with the yoke of slavery. Paul's really concerned because there is great danger. There is great danger that we're going to go back. And so in the next few verses, he starts talking about a great, great antithesis. And I want you to get this. Because all of my life in Christianity, there's almost constantly a mixture of law and grace. I want you to look at verses 2 through 6. Saved by law, saved by grace. No middle ground. I want you to get this. You're either trusting this morning. Now listen really hard to me. One day you're going to stand before God. And your heavenly daddy looks at you and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? Now he's not going to have to do that, but it'll help the focus. How do you answer? One group of people, like if I'm Jewish, I answer like this. I've really tried to obey the law of Moses. I've kept the religious holidays. I've, I've obeyed all 613 rules and regulations. The Apostle Paul lived like that for many years. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. The Apostle Paul would say when it comes to that kind of Jewish legal righteousness, I did it. The Apostle Paul is saying, I know, like Paul's not talking from a distance about this. He lived almost all of his life trying to get right with God through his own self-effort. And that's what almost everybody I talk to does. 
Almost everybody that I talk to, you can be a Baptist. Your Baptist movement was founded by a group of people that believed you needed to make an, a, an adult, and it could be a, a, an older child, but it had to be a responsible decision to put all of your faith and trust in Jesus. And you couldn't get into God's family just because somebody threw a little sprinkled water on you when you were about eight weeks old or eight days old. And so the Anabaptists said, no, it's got to be a personal decision for Christ. And then they believed you needed to be uh, publicly baptized to conf- to, to, as a symbol of your intimate relationship with Jesus. That's what the Baptist movement was about. But Baptists that I meet today, in fact, some of you over the years in the church, if church doesn't start at 11 o'clock, if you don't sing from the Baptist hymnal, if the message doesn't take 20 and a half minutes, and if we can't get to our restaurant... And if it doesn't feel Baptist, have you ever noticed that there's a Baptist feel? You know, there's a Bible church feel. There's a Methodist feel. There's a Baptist feel. There's a Roman Catholic feel. There's an Episcopal feel. There's a Greek Orthodox feel. And our culture, it's, it's all coming back. A lot, of, a lot of young people are enamored with robes. And they love bells and whistles. And smoke. And especially you kids that are raised in evangelical families. You are a biblical truster in Jesus. You need to understand this. There's one side that trusts all the pomp and circumstance, all the religion, all the rules and regulations. There's another side that trusts only in the finished work of Jesus. The fact that he died for you and the fact that he rose again. And in a lot of ways, you are naked before God. There's no pope to throw water on you. There's no pope to bless you and make you get right with God. You don't have a priest that wears special robes. You don't go into the room and put water, you know, holy water, and make sure, you know, sprinkle it on you so you'll be a little bit holy. All that stuff, Paul is saying, is a system of trying to get right with God by law. And you love it because it feeds your pride, and so do I. And it makes you feel safe, and it makes somebody else able to handle this God problem in my life. And Paul says, if you want to go that way, there's no middle ground. You've walked away from Jesus because Jesus is something totally different. You say, Dave, what are you talking about? Look what he says. He says, look here in verse 2. Look here, I, Paul, tell you this. If you allow yourselves to be circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I solemnly testify again to any man, if he allows himself to be circumcised, he's obligated to obey the entire law. Now, this is the point. If you want to try to get to heaven by law, then this is the, this is the rules. If you're going to try to earn favor with God, this is the rule. There's no grading on the curve. So you need to get this really straight because some of you might be sitting there saying, you know, I'm going to make it because I'm better than the person sitting next to me. Every sinner that I meet, sinners that don't, you know, attend churches, they'll tell me I'm better than most of the people in the church. And outwardly, a lot of them are. The Apostle Paul says, though, that the game has been played that way. A lot of you are used to this in school. Like, I remember, like, when we were taking calculus, our teacher, well, we wouldn't understand anything, and we would take exams. They hardly know what was going on. The teacher said, it'll be all right. We're going to grade on the curve. But every once in a while, we'd have a teacher that said, no curve. It's going to be the straight, objective facts. You're going to get 
exactly what you put into the test. And man, we'd cringe. That was horrible. In our culture today, when I was at Dallas Seminary, we, we had a big, big conflict because Dr. Walkie said, you guys have got to do the Hebrew exegesis on this psalm, and if you can't get it right, you're not going to graduate. And our whole class, Dave Lowry and I's class, a whole bunch of guys stood up and said, that's not fair, that's not fair, that's not fair. And I remember Dave Lowry kind of sitting up and saying, hey, I thought that's what Dallas Seminary was supposed to be about, that when we graduated, we were supposed to be able to kind of look at the Hebrew text and know what it's talking about. But everybody screamed, no, that's horrible. Paul says, no, there's a standard. He was like Dave Lowry. He's saying, you've got to meet the standard. And I want all of you to get that straight. If you want to get to heaven by being good in your own strength, you know how good you need to be? Totally good. You can't break one rule. Because the law is like a beautiful vase. If you break one little part, you've chipped the whole thing, and it just shatters like a vase, and you're guilty before God. The Apostle Paul challenged, like when you're talking to people, you want to ask them, you want to ask them, how do you think you get right with God? And you listen to them. And when they tell you, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this, you say, well, how much of that good stuff are you going to have to do before God says, okay, you're, you're in? You see, the problem of being saved by law is you never know when it's good enough. And even worse, if someone really is honest with what's going on inside of them, they're guilty of sin. Every one of you in this room if you're really honest, when I talk to you about standing before God, if you think about standing there and say, I'm going to take my record, put it up there, that'll be good enough. Man, I'm not going to put my record up there for one second because it is filled with incredibly bad stuff deep inside of me on my old nature side. The Apostle Paul is saying this, if you're going to be circumcised, if you're going to go that way of the law, then you're obligated to obey the entire law. He also says, those of you who are seeking to be justified, those of you that are trying to get right with God by the law, he says this, you are estranged from Christ, you've fallen from grace. What in the world does that mean? This is really important. What he's saying to the Galatians, specifically in the first century, Paul shared the gospel with the Galatians. Many of them responded to it. But in any group, like a group like this, you're a mixed group. Some of you really believe in grace. Some of you don't. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that if, if the group goes back into Judaism, if they listen to these false teachers, then they are estranged. They become a stranger to Christ. They walk away from Christ. And the idea of falling out of grace is the idea is you can't mix grace and law. You can't say, I'm trusting in Jesus alone for my salvation. I'm depending upon what he did for me. I'm depending upon his free gift coming into my life. You can't believe that and then add a little bit, but now I'm going to make myself perfect and make myself mature in Christ with a little bit of law. He says you can't do that because grace and law are mutually exclusive. And he says, if you decide to go back into religion, if you go back into law, then you've fallen out of that realm of grace. He's not talking about an individual believer that genuinely knows Christ, that really has the Holy Spirit come and live inside of him, somehow losing that. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if you choose to go back into the system of law, then you would have demonstrated that the Holy Spirit wasn't really alive and at work in your life. And that's serious stuff. Because in a group like this, you can tell me, oh, yeah, I believe in grace. I believe in salvation as a free gift. 
But you can be all enamored with all your self-help programs and all the things you're trying to do to get right with God. And the Apostle Paul is saying that is estrangement from grace. And the tragedy of that kind of false teaching is that it leads us away from what's really true. For we, by the Holy Spirit's power, look at the next verse, verse 6. It says, we, by the Spirit's power on the basis of faith, are looking forward in hope that we will stand right before God. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is anything. The only thing that counts is faith working through love. Now, here's what he's saying. He uses key words here. He says, first of all, it's by the Spirit's power. The difference between the gift of salvation and the system of law is that a person that's received the gift of salvation has the presence of the Holy Spirit come to live in their life. And what it means is that your human spirit might be antagonistic, might be having immoral thoughts, might be getting incredibly hateful and bitter, might have tremendous passions to get drunk, and on and on it can go. But you got a new spirit inside of you. We're going to be talking about this a lot the next several weeks. And it's rooted in the third person of the Trinity. God himself came to live inside of you, and the Holy Spirit is a new spirit. And I want to ask you, which spirit are you controlled by today? Are you walking by the Spirit? Or is another spirit dominating your life? And that's going to be the great choice that we have to make. And he says that you were saved in the beginning by letting the Holy Spirit come into your life. And what Paul's going to say is that you just keep allowing that Holy Spirit to transform your life. It's by faith. What does faith mean? It means that you don't trust in yourself. You don't trust in what you can do, but you trust in what Jesus can do. It means you totally depend upon, you rest upon his word. Who do you believe? Who are you believing this morning? If you believe in Jesus, you rely upon his spirit, and then this is true. It says that I am crucified with Christ. By faith, I believe Jesus joined me with Christ. So I died. So my life isn't about Dave anymore. It's about Jesus. And this is what it means, faith expressing itself in love. You see, as I believe in Jesus, I believe that I'm dead with Christ, so my old nature is not needing to control my life. It doesn't have to dominate me. It is dead. From a God standpoint, it is eternally gone. As we work on it every day, we struggle with those besetting weaknesses, but by faith we look to the cross and we are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live day by day. Yet not I, but now it's Christ living through me. So as a husband, if I can't love Mary, if I'm feeling bad today, I can't say, well, I can't do it today. I'm, an, I'm, just, I'm just Irish today, and I'm going to be mean, and I'm going to be bad-tempered. Jesus says, forget about it. I'm in your life, and I love Mary today. She's my princess, and I treat her really good. And Wurtzen, if you'll live under my power, you're going to, by faith, express, because I'm Jesus and I express love, you're going to love Mary today. I hear all kinds of believers saying, I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. You know what you're saying? They're not meeting my needs anymore. It's not a good deal anymore. It's not very good. I don't like it. And what you're saying is that love equals when I feel good, when I feel fulfilled, when I feel my personal needs are being met, 
The Apostle Paul says something totally different. He says, if you believe in Jesus, then you're able to express it in having the love that Jesus has. How does Jesus love your, your wife? How does Jesus love your kids? How does Jesus love your husband? And that's what love really is. Love is always rooted in the cross. And it always flows from Jesus. So you're going to decide whether you're going to believe and trust Jesus can help you to live a life where you self-sacrificially give generously to other people. You stop keeping a record of things that are wrong. You stop depending upon, you know, you're going to make things right. You trust and you're able to forgive. And that's what Paul is saying, that faith expresses it self and love. We're going to go on from there. The Apostle Paul's going to talk about false teachers, which always happens. They get in and they kind of spoil the whole lump. But the question I want to ask you today is what spirit are you controlled by today? As we talk about living free forever, we're going to be talking the next several weeks about what's wrong in our Christian life. You know, what's wrong in our daily life? You know, why, like the truth of the matter is Barna, who does all kinds of statistics, says that you all aren't any different than unbelievers. You lie just as bad. You break up your marriages just as frequently, if not more. You're, you're just as bitter. In fact, a lot of unbelievers say that they'd rather live next to somebody else rather than a born-again Christian. Why? Well, some of it's just Satan's lie and deception. But some of it's because as American believers, instead of living by the power of the Spirit, we've started becoming all kinds of helps, all kinds of self-things we can do. And it's not working. It's not working in our marriages. It's not working in our lives. And what I want to challenge you to do is, like, I think there's a big challenge over the next several months. Do we really believe that Jesus and his cross and his resurrection can change your life? How many of you really believe that Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and Jesus Christ rising again from the dead can actually make you a new person. Well, you got to decide. As you leave here right now, you decide what you believe about your life. And I'm not saying at all. Paul says we wait for the hope for righteousness. This is a process. Jesus isn't saying that just like that, you instantly overcome your hatred. You instantly overcome your problem with lust. You instantly overcome stealing habits or cheating or things like that. But what he's saying is that as you walk with the Holy Spirit day by day and you ask him to forgive you and you cling to the cross and you rely upon the resurrection power of Jesus, Jesus is saying that as you look back at your life, you'll see change, especially if you ask the people around you. I want to ask you as we close, are you mixing law and grace? Do you believe you're saved by grace? but you mature by law? Has your Christianity become a bunch of burdens, a bunch of regulations? I want you to enter into the glorious freedom, the glorious freedom of knowing totally as a free gift, totally by grace. Jesus Christ loves you. He comes to live inside your life, and then he sets us free to be transformed, to become something brand new that will escape this present evil age. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, the Apostle Paul thought crystal clear about law and grace. And I'm just amazed uh, down through church history and also in the present of how much we mix self-help, how much we mix our own effort 
And, Lord, it fails. But I thank you that the power of Jesus and our faith in him and our dependence upon him really does give us a new life. And I want to pray, beginning today, that you will help us to grab a hold of this incredible divine Savior, that we would allow his spirit to change us and that we would be open with him and talk to him about the struggles that are within. And we pray that we'll choose to live by Christ's power, by his spirit's power. I pray, Lord, that we will escape the bondage of religion, the bondage of just living for our own desires and instead walk into the incredible freedom of being totally submitted to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move your children. I can never do it, Lord, but you can. I pray that you would move them to totally allow you to control their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.